You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Today, we're speaking to Kevin Flood, my automotive friend from across the pond, right, Kevin? So Kevin Kevin lives in the UK. He hosts uh, a couple of shows himself, I believe, and uh, he's fairly educated and is a history buff on the topic of Mr. Henry Ford. And if you've been listening to this podcast show or a couple of the other shows we've been doing lately, some details and questions of Mr. Ford's life have come up that, that I certainly had no answer to. Like, did he really own rubber trees in the Brazilian jungle and set up a city for its employees? I, I don't know, but Kevin does. So let's find this out uh, from a British perspective. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. It's good to finally talk. Yeah, it, it sure is. And, you know, we were talking here before the show started. We have never actually spoken directly to each other, though we have spoken to each other many times. Strangely. Off, but often. <laughs> so, so I know just what you look like. I knew what you sounded like uh, and vice versa. But this is a this is a first for us. So this this should be very fun. And um, if, if people are kind of curious how we set this up hours apart uh so it's 8 30 in the morning here uh and it's it's 2 30 in the afternoon for you it is indeed yep okay and then obviously we're using skype and you have a, a really nice sounding microphone so this is this is a little more high tech than we usually do it <laughs> you probably know what the first question is but um it, you kind of have to tell people who you are where you're from what you do for a living and, and why you like cars Okay. Uh, right, I'm Kevin Flood. I live in Reading, which is kind of in the southwest of the UK, about 40 miles west of London. I started off life in the motor trade. When I left school, I went through a full five, six year apprenticeship and moved into management within the motor trade, really, and ended up in car leasing on the operations side of the business. And at age 39, I had a complete career change and went into IT, eventually becoming the global information security officer for a company called Lease Plan, which is the largest car leasing sort of company in the world, which is a bit under the radar, but they're business for business. Um, after that, I went into information security consulting, and I'm still in that line of work now, and I work for a company called Prudential Assurance, which is a bit different to the American one. It's the uh, UK version, which covers the UK and the Far East and stuff like that, and I, I try and find hackers and things like that. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. And the car thing comes from my dad. And when I left school, which was quite a long time ago, your computer options were very limited in terms of what you could do in the high-tech world. So I went into the motor trade and worked at a Ford dealer for 13 years. So that's kind of where my car bit comes from. The two things are now coming together, really. <laughs> yeah. T- tell me about the shows that you host. Now, I know you have one for Do you have two shows? Yeah, um, I, I, I kind of do. I, I do. Um, there's a, a small community radio station in Georgia called America's Web Radio, which has a car show called the Classic Car Show that goes out on Saturday mornings. And I'm one of the presenters on that. And what I do, I interview um, interesting people in the UK classic car world, um, which is against my normal thing because my normal thing is American cars, but that's another story. Uh, and those get published on, live on the air 
and also go out on iTunes and Stitcher and various other channels. And the other one I do is another podcast called UK Classic Car, which reuses some of the stuff from those shows, but with some additional bits and pieces. We also go out on iTunes and uh, Stitcher. So, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of in their infancy a little bit. My production values are nowhere near as good as yours, but um, I'm trying. <laughs> well, I got a good guy on that. <laughs> yeah, you have. You have indeed. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. Absolutely brilliant. Well, uh, cool. Uh, we, we have a lot of common passions here, and we kind of like technical things. Mm. Where did the Henry Ford kind of learned learnedness come from uh, boy whenever i talk to somebody from britain i always feel i need to step up my vocabulary oh no I, yeah <laughs> mine's uh i'm a i'm a very irish english person all my background's irish so uh you know it's the you swear in vocabulary you might have to step up Uh-oh. a bit but i'm not I'll sure about the rest of it <laughs> so no it actually it actually came um i think the fact that i was working at a ford dealer um, is where it started. It was very interesting. And during my apprenticeship, we actually had the um, luck to restore a couple of Model Ts. We restored a Model T uh, Phaeton and also a Model T truck, which was the Walton's truck in everything but being in the Walton's. <laughs> so um, that started it. And I, as time went on during my apprenticeship, I, I was visiting my cousins in Ireland who were living in Cork, which was where one of the first European Ford factories were actually started up. And I met a guy there who'd worked at Ford for 40 years, and he actually gave me a book called The New Ford Car, which was published in 1928. And it was actually all about the new Model A. Um, and I've had that since I was about mm, probably 18, 19 years old. And I now have a Model A, a 1929 uh, Sport Coupe which I always wanted. So I actually bought that from over your side of the pond and exported it here. And Mm. ever since I did that, I've kind of got even more interested in Ford and why they did certain things and um, and what Henry was up to. And particularly around the the situation with his son and, you know, the various offshoots like Lincoln and things like that. So I'm I'm probably not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it's an interest and um, it's... uh, Every time I dig in, I find something else. And I've, I've actually visited the Henry Ford Museum and visited Greenfield Village and also the Rouge plant um, on holidays, which not always appreciated by my wife, but she's very, uh, very understanding woman. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a thing, I guess. I, I, I've kind of always been linked one way or another with Ford for years and uh that's kind of made me dig around a little bit because i my favorite subject at school was history so i suppose it's you know a little bit off the back of the two things together interesting okay well in preparing for this you were nice enough to send me uh, a kind of a, a timeline cheat sheet of henry ford's life it's it's almost the cliff notes of his life and i and i know that you know there's no way to get all of that in here but we there's more here than we can cover i read everything and i picked out certain aspects of it so if i miss a question in here that you think was extra important you let me know i'm sure you will but let let's just start at the beginning so where was henry ford born and when and what was his childhood like he was born in um 1863 uh on july the 30th on a form in in a farm sorry in dearborn michigan uh, oldest of six children and just as a little side note the actual house he was born in is now in greenfield village 
So he's, he had a propensity for buying buildings from all around the world and plonking them down in Greenfield Village and huh. rebuilding them. So um, it's an interesting place. So that's where that's basically his mother died in 1876 during childbirth. So I think he had a bit of a a busy and rough life compared to these days. I think he was working on his family's farm, etc. So I think he had a fairly tough upbringing, from what I read. When did he leave the farm? He left uh, in 1879. Um, he left school with a sixth grade education. You'll have to tell me what a sixth grade education actually is, because I'm not really sure what that is. Um, mm. I'm, I'm assuming that's our secondary school level, pre-high school, perhaps? Yeah. yeah. So, well, earlier than that. So in sixth grade here, you'd be a 10 or 11-year-old uh, Okay. Yeah, that yeah. would be when, in uh, 11 here, you go into secondary school, which is your high school. So... Um, so that's mm-hmm. that's interesting. So yeah, uh, so we we have we have a grammar school, uh, kind of middle school, junior high, and high school. Art, but but yeah, the the sounds sounds almost exactly the same. So he was very young. Yeah, and uh, and also this this is a bit of a a bit of a kind of strain through his life. He was um, uneducated in the kind of classical sense. So this will come up later on in a in a kind of really bad way, but. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to that. Um, at 16, he travelled to Detroit to work in the sort of burgeoning machine shop um, industry where there uh, were steam engines, and he actually worked for Westinghouse for a couple of years demonstrating and repairing steam engines. So, I think I saw Edison there in, in your notes somewhere. Yeah, he did. After that, he actually went, he spent actually uh, a year, a year or so at a business school, um, which I'd never heard of. It's called Goldsmith, Bryant, and Stratton in university in detroit uh, it's the only bit of business training he ever had um and he, uh, and he after that basically married uh, in 1888 on my birthday in fact april the 11th so that's mm. kind of strange um Did you remember yeah yeah and <laughs> looking back at his kind of uh, practicality he built his own house to his wife's specification using lumber from a small sawmill operation that he'd started in around 1889 and to your point about um edison he took a job at Edison, uh, Edison Electric Illuminating Company in 1891, um, which he decided to go and work because he needed to know about electricity as it would be required for his ultimate aim of building a gasoline-powered horseless carriage, as he called it at that point. So that was his... He had a, I think he had a thought of he wanted to build cars from the very beginning. So this was part of his mm. own education. Okay, and, and just as a general point in history he he kind of he lives in michigan are there other car companies at this time is is the car culture all culminating in michigan by some galactic force what 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 is all happening in michigan not too much there's there's various other um kind of i suppose infant companies that are floating around but it wasn't till um in 1893 he actually became chief engineer at edison uh and actually met edison around that time um Mm. for the first time after working for him for quite a long time but he at the same time he'd actually spent two years building his first car using a design from a magazine i don't know what magazine it was whether practical scientists or practical mechanics or something was around at that point but the thing was known as the quadricycle uh and that was his first car so i think there was a lot of guys like him uh if you like garden shed operations where they were building things that they were creating themselves there wasn't really anything much in the way of an industry at this point 
that I can that I can see anyway. So, um, funnily enough, after, when he built the quadricycle, it was actually too large to remove from his workshop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so on the 4th of June uh, of 1896, at 4am in the morning, he decided to knock the wall down of his workshop, which I'm sure his neighbours were very pleased about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, dro- <laughs> drove the car away at four o'clock in the morning. Um, so it's interesting because uh, Henry Ford's boss at the time at Edison was hoping that the the car thing would would sort of go away as a you know just a fad and he could carry on with his job. But once he'd met Edison, Edison basically encouraged him to carry on uh, on the car side of things, and they become great friends after that. How old was Thomas Edison then? Oh, I don't know, actually. I'm thinking this is like 1896. So he can't have been terribly much older than Ford at the time, I would think. Um, huh. I'm not too sure, but I, I would imagine that that's... They're, they're probably peers, I suppose, but I would say Edison was a bit more of an early bloomer in terms of his, terms of his discoveries and things like that, whereas Henry was fiddling about with steam engines and building houses and things. So he's definitely a more hands-on, practical kind of guy, is the, the sort of thread you get through his life, really. So that's kind of interesting. Okay, I have I have a couple questions for you, and this, this hmm. might sum up a number of topics, so pick it apart as you wish. Yeah. I didn't know until I read through your notes that, that you know, the Ford Motor Company that we think of today was not his first shot at a car company. No. It was, it was like his third or his yes. fourth, maybe. Absolutely. What were the first ones? Um, the first one was... Um, uh, he quit his job in 1899 to uh, to start the Detroit Automobile Company with um, some backing from some local investors, and the company went broke within well less than two years. So I think his again his perhaps lack of business now, um, as opposed to his engineering genius, was was obvious. After that, a couple of years later, he um, was continuing to do his own thing in terms of building cars he um he built a fairly famous car at the time called the 999 and entered a dirt track ra- race at gross point 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation passport transport the first and finest today that's why passport transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers concours museums tours and collectors and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. In uh, Michigan, or I think it's outside Detroit, 
and there was a thousand dollar prize to the winner um and the only other car in the race was from another um car manufacturer winton which kind of became relatively famous around that time um he won the race won the thousand dollars and um this helped to attract some investors to start another car company this time called the Henry Ford Company, with Henry mm-hmm. as the chief engineer. But again, after about... This isn't it yet. Yeah, yeah we're no, not from there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but, but after a, a, four months, he quit in a dispute with his backers, uh, and I think he's a cantankerous kind of guy, or was a cantankerous kind of guy. Um, after he left the company, though, they found a new chief engineer called Henry Leland and changed the company name to Cadillac. So, yeah, so Henry kind of started Cadillac, if you like, but... um, Was there, like, a Bill Cadillac? Why in the name Cadillac? I'm not sure about that. I believe it comes from um, French, and there's some some linkage to some... um, Okay. Something other in France. I'd have to look that one up, but... All right. Uh, it's a, it, caught, it caught me with that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know either. I've always no, uh, no, no. It's you know, a it's good like... point. It's a good point, actually. Uh, it's a bit like I suppose Chevrolet. At least with Chevrolet, you can actually track that down to the Chevrolet brothers. So yeah, at Louis, least there's Louis Chevrolet. Yeah. So there is something with that. So um, mm-hmm. by the time he was thirty-eight, he helped to develop two car companies and lost them both. So this time. Um, a group of local businessmen actually hired a, a local bookkeeper called James Cousins um, to round up a bunch of investors for yet another car company. So in 1903, the, the actual Ford Motor Company that we know of was formed and sold its first passenger car, the Model A, which is not the same Model A as the 1928 Model A, a month later. And within 10 months, they'd made 600-odd cars uh, and sold them, booking a profit over £100,000 which is probably two and a half million in today's dollars, but the way the pound's dropping against the dollar, it's a little bit difficult to tell now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> now we're Brexiting. It's, uh, yeah. Now, now, which car was it? Was, was this, you, you said Model A? Yes, it, his original car was called the Model A, but it's not the same Model A that he came out with after the Model T, and that's about as clear as mud, I know, but... Uh, that's the way he did it. <laughs> I, okay. You know, in my limited history, I've always yeah. kind of thought of the first Ford as the Model T, I guess. No, there's there's, um, a, there's an A, an R, an S, an N. So there's there's a number of those which I, I can I can sort of give you a little bit of chronology on. Uh, well, g- give us the, the gist of it because we... Yeah. It gets, it gets very confusing. <laughs> oh, it does. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, that's part of a demonstration of his new car company and his new car. He actually set a, a new speed record of 91 miles an hour on the frozen Lake St. Clair in Michigan. So at this point, he was on a roll. Um, he started to build Fords in Canada and then uh-huh. he built his first, well, opened his first purpose-built factory at Piquet Avenue. So um, again, he started to argue with the investors. The investors wanted large, you know, our kind sort of status type cars. And Henry wanted to look at, you know, the I suppose the precursor to the Model T for like five hundred dollars, or you know, for those who couldn't afford the larger, expensive things. Um, and as the arguments raged, basically they formed uh, f- Henry formed an entity called the Ford Manufacturing Company to supply components for Ford cars, uh, selling only stock to his friends, <laughs> uh, mm. and overcharged <laughs> the Ford Motor Company for parts, and more or less forced. 
the Ford Motor Company into crisis, uh, and this, of course, obviously would be completely illegal now, but um, Henry had a 58% stake and Cousins was 11%. So after serving its purpose, the company sold its stock to Ford Motor Company and was dissolved. So Henry basically had taken over the company and he started off with the Model N. So... Um, Wait, wait a minute. I... <laughs> uh, you, te- you tell me. Uh, whether this is so, Hen- Henry not knowing the alphabet. <laughs> so, all right. So, so somewhere no. in here, he he lost control of the Ford Motor Company and now got it back through this kind of yeah, insider he, trading move here. <laughs> exactly. He never, re- he never really had control. He was like a major shareholder with um, chief engineer status in the company. And I think they pulled this move starting another company up to, to force the other ones or liquidate or I suppose liquidate the other company's stock as such. Um, so effectively okay. he's gained control. Um, so now he's in charge of the Ford Motor Company and this is when the Model N comes out? Yep. <laughs> he Got brings, it. He brings the Model N out in 1907 and in the meantime he's actually buying um, some land at Highland Park in Detroit to build yet another factory. Um, so the Model N came out with Henry working on a working with it on a small team of employees. And then after that, there was some slightly improved versions of Model R and the Model S. So um, part of the educational thing comes along, as you'd appreciate being an engineer. Henry refused to work with any sort of drawings. So all the prototyping was done with, I suppose now the way things are done is kind of fast prototyping or slow in this case, where you're actually building the thing rather than working from any sort of drawings or anything else. So, um, so it took a long time to actually get these things ready. Um, but at the same time, he was doing some other fiddling around, and he came out with an experimental tractor called the Autoplow. Um, and, you know, it, it's eventually, um, in around 1908, he he came up with what would become the Model T, I guess. Uh, and he took a shakedown run around Lake Michigan via Chicago in a sort of 1,300 miles of a trip, and the Model T finally debu- debuted in October. So it wasn't the cheapest car in the market because the Brush Everyman's car, which I'd never heard of until I started looking into this, um, was actually cheaper than the Model T, but the Brush was apparently made completely of wood, more or less, obviously apart from the uh, drivetrain. The T had vanadium steel and all the various other bits and pieces. So it was the first car at that time with fully interchangeable parts. So And 15,000 advance orders were placed. Now, by this point in time, and I'm kind of skipping forward in in the notes that I have here, and and taking some guesses, mm. there have to be other car companies going. Yes, yes, I, I, I so, think that's, so. He's got real competition that he's going up against at this point. He has, and but I think what he was aiming at was a segment of the market where there was only this brush Everyman's car, mm-hmm. which is the cheaper end of the market, and I think the you know the. The upper market was the Cadillacs and the, you know, I don't, Lincoln, well, I think we're starting to be formed around that time as well. So I think he was looking at the, if you like, what would be now the VW, I was going to say Kia, but they're quite expensive now. But if you like that sort of cheaper segment of the market, right. <laughs> they're expensive now. But um, uh, we, we have a, a Romanian Renault that's imported into Europe called the Dacia. Dacia. That's um, kind of the bottom end of the market here now. <laughs> So okay. that's what he's looking at. Uh, some of the kind of folklore things that, that come out of Henry Ford's life, I think, are starting now. So if I run down to 1914, for example, yep. uh, you've, got, you've got a segment in here. It says, January 5th, Ford announces that any man 
22 years old or upwards will be paid $5 per day. Absolutely. And women were not uh, initially considered. And what what does that mean? What is $5 per day then? Is that is that a pretty good number? I think that's probably either double or three times what anybody else was getting. So at the time, um, your guest the other day mentioned the PBS Henry Ford document, uh, documentary. Yeah, yeah. And there's a really good piece in there. But the place was absolutely um, mobbed by people <laughs> when he did mm-hmm. it. There was there was thousands of people queuing up. And at the time, the Wall Street Journal condemned him. Um, I think the quote was, has in social endeavour committed economic blunders, if not crimes. They may return to plague him and the industry he represents as organised society. And they slaughtered him, basically. Um, The only downside was that if you took Henry's shilling, so to speak, his infamous sociological department would come and visit you and make sure your house was clean, you weren't drinking. Um, Offenders were warned of their conduct and fired if these behaviours didn't change. So there's another side of uh, a fairly unpleasant side of Henry. Yeah, and that was something I wanted to get to. Um, (laughs) Because there are some kind of bizarre folklore tales that you hear about um, that, uh, you know, you you really weren't just an employee there. You you may have been kind of controlled uh, from from a behavior and life perspective, like things you could and couldn't do. Is it true that he built a a town for his employees to live in, or yes. homes, or yeah, something like that? He did. Yep, there was the he built his own town. Um, the other the other um, trick behind the five dollars a day was actually the fact that he wanted his, his staff to be customers. Um, and the way he figured is if they've got enough say, money, say that again. It, it he wanted it, his, it broke up real quick. Sorry, he wanted his staff to be customers of Ford. So effectively, if they had enough money to spend and enough disposable income, they would buy a Model T, and that was his that was his thinking behind it. So he, he supplied everything for them, but also he kind of locked them in in terms of what he wanted them to do with the money coming back into the company. So it's hmm. kind of interesting, and um, the actual pay increase led to a boom in immigration into Detroit from all over the US and Europe. And as I said previously, they were absolutely overwhelmed with job applicants and all the other companies basically at the time, which I think really was probably Chrysler and, and the fledging GM, were forced to match the earnings. And they also sold 300,000 Model Ts in 1914. So it's it's wacky, it really is. Um, it's an okay. interesting <laughs> strategy. <laughs> the, there are... I want to poke around here a little bit, not necessarily in chronological order anymore. No, no. no. Um, any color you want, as long as it's black. Where did that come from? That came from his introduction of efficiencies on the production line, because you could get it, I believe, in green and red and a couple of other colors, or dark red, maroon sort of color. Um, but the black dried quicker. So. Um, oh. That was it? Yep. And also, interestingly, the colour was called Japan Black Enamel. Um, <laughs> if you was think, Well, if you think what? what happened to the American car industry eventually in terms of Japan, that's a bit ironic, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Japan Black Enamel. Okay. Yeah. Um, airplanes. So I, I think, you'd, you know, I kind of mentioned I've, I've seen the Ford Trimotor for years at air shows. Did Ford Motor Company make airplanes or was that a separate thing? No, he set up a separate p- 
part of Ford Motor Company to make airplanes. And I believe that's the one you went for a trip in, isn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, that was a separate company. And moving on slightly forward, he, he turned his production line over during World during World War Two, mostly to make B-24 bombers. So they have actually made airplanes directly at Ford. But the uh, Ford Aviation actually built their own aircraft airport in Dearborn as well, which at the time apparently was one of the most advanced airports in the world. So The Ford Tri-Motor that I ride on has mm. a radial engine. That's the one. And, yeah. and I think I read in your notes in here somewhere, he was trying to find a way potentially to put a radial engine in a car he was it was the model x or something like that and he was he gave up after a while but he did spend quite a long time actually trying to put a radial engine into a uh, ford body so what the body was i don't know because i couldn't really find any photos or anything like that so it was really interesting to see what the hell he would have done with that um it was around (laughs) 1925 that he built the um built the tri-motor actually the there was 35 patents attached to that plane and he offered them royalty free and one of those was actually the navigational radio beam which i guess went on to be used for decades afterwards so he yeah. gave that he gave that away free as a a bit of an elon musk move <laughs> are you kidding <laughs> no, I had no idea no, no, nor me it's, again it's some of the i mean this is i've kind of only really scratched the surface as far as it goes it's unbelievable i mean we've got i've got like 12 as you said 12 about 12 pages of cliff notes but the actual your auto love and investment demands the best and for 45 years passport transport has been meeting those demands from manufacturers to the one car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby the first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. There is so much more. It's amazing. From Let's step away from cars because then I want to yep. get back to cars just because yep. I'm so fuzzy on the early Ford model run. But yep. there, I mean, there's hospitals that get founded. There's all sorts of other things like that. 
there's some political involvement here. Uh, what's the World War One peace ship? Yes, he, <laughs> him, and a bunch of his buddies uh, who were, I guess were were kind of. Um, I don't know what you'd call them, really. I suppose they were luminaries in the States. They decided that they were going to go across to Europe and stop the World War. So they thought they'll go across. Uh, they took a, um, a ship full of um, prominent Americans over to Norway and attempted to negotiate with the uh, Germans at the time to end the war. And it, as you'd imagine, it didn't work. And as a result, it was kind of seen as very controversial. And, and Henry became a bit of a laughing stock about it. And as a byproduct of that, Cousins, who was the guy who formed or helped to form Ford Motor Company with Henry, resigned from the company and ended up going into politics himself separately. But that was something that um, wasn't one of his more um, brightest ideas. Did Henry Ford have political ambitions or was this purely uh, a patriotic move to, to do something to help uh, alleviate human suffering? What? I think what was that? I think he was he was definitely I suppose a humanitarian of sorts. I I definitely think he thought he could affect it, um, but I'm not sure it was. Again, I think his lack of education and perhaps a world view um, kind of I don't know made it a bit of a silly idea. But he ran in 1918. He actually ran for the Senate in Michigan. But in the true Henry Ford way of doing things, he actually ran for both parties in both primaries. Um, now, <laughs> the very Donald Trump. Yeah, I was just thinking that he, he, he lost the Republican, but won the Democratic. And he actually ran in the general election as a Democrat and spent no money at all on his on his campaign or very little money and actually came very close to winning. But going back to his paranoia that as becomes evident as time goes on, he actually hired a number of private investigators to investigate voter fraud. Uh, and that came to nothing, and he just became more and more bizarre as time went on, which ended up in buying the Detroit Independent, and he, he's a lot of um, anti-Semitic books written, pamphlets, and, and things like that. So it was, yeah, he, he kind of went into politics in a, as, as you say, in a kind of bizarre Donald Trump fashion. Um, but I suppose for Mexicans, see Jewish people, I guess. So it was, yeah, it was a very strange kind of vault face I suppose in terms of what he was doing it was strange but again it's um, classic Henry <laughs> how long did the Model T run it ran until 1927 and how long a production run was that that was from 1908 I believe until 1927 and how different did the car get during that run? There was quite a lot of modifications, but Henry was uh, a curmudgeon in terms of uh, modification. Uh, Edsel Ford, his son, was forever um, wanting to increase the range of cars, etc., etc., add things like electric starters. Um, but really, nothing much happened to it until probably the last three or four years of production when they did add things like electric starters and uh, upholstery was nicer and various different models. Um, but having said that, by the time it's gone out of production, I think you're down to nearly a price of $250 to buy it. Uh, 1923 was probably the, the best year when they sold $2 million in a year. So it, it's, yeah, it, was, it didn't really get overtaken as the best-selling car uh, until in the 60s or 70s by the Beetle. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. So in the in the 1920s here, is Henry 
still completely in charge of his company? Yeah, he is. He's um, he's in charge, but um, at the time, he, he, his uh, I think his mental faculties becoming were becoming a little bit more um, unhinged as time went on, and he, he actually issued an apology in 1927 around the anti-Semitic behaviour from earlier on. Mm-hmm. So it was it was kind of strange, but eventually um, Edsel Ford has made him, or made him, or persuaded him, apparently along with his wife, to actually end production of the Model T in 1927, which meant that the uh, the factory was closed for six months for retooling for the Model A, and it's uh, by that time it had been uh, running for 20 years, sold 15 million Model Ts, and the the factory was employing 60,000 workers. And they had to lay them all off for six months until they retooled and spent two hundred and fifty million um, retooling the line. Hmm. And now the the Model A launches. It does. And this but, is a very different car. But just before that, and I know one of your favourite parts of the Henry Ford thing is. Oh Henry- yeah, yeah, yeah. The, is this the Brazil part? Indeed. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in 27, Henry, then the richest man in the world, bought 5,000 square mile tracts of land in the Brazilian Amazon, where he was going to build a rubber plantation. Now, at the time, the British he, uh, had a mon- had monopoly on rubber in the world. So all the British colonies were the ones supplying rubber. And then Henry, being Henry, wanted to have complete control of his supply chain. So he thought, right, OK, I'm not only going to just create rubber. Um, he thought he'd bring all their efficiency and productivity, the same as his production line and mass production, into the Brazilian jungle. So he thought he'd build small-town America in the middle of a, uh, a jungle. So he wanted to create an America in his own image, and that was called Fordlandia, uh, which was full of neat houses, straight roads, and restrained Puritanism. Oh, Puritanism? Yeah, Puritanism. Oh, oh, hang on there, hang on there. Yeah. Kevin, we had a quick drop-off. Oh, so okay. You- you said somewhere in here he was in the Brazilian jungle. He was going to make a, a yep. town. Yeah, Ford wanted to create an America in his own image called Fordlandia in the middle of the jungle, full of neat houses, straight roads, and Puritanism. For who? For, for, for <laughs> all Brazilians? his for his Brazilians. Yeah, he actually had a poor bunch of workers that he took over from Detroit that he dumped in the middle of a jungle and just said, "Make me a rubber plantation." And there was uh, I, there's a really good book by a chap called Greg Gan- Grandin. The book's called Ford, Fordlandia, The Rise and Fall of Henry Ford's Forgotten Jungle City. Um, and he took people from Detroit who knew nothing about rubber plants. They took the wrong type of rubber trees there. It was a disaster from uh, beginning to end. And he <laughs> he tried to put time clocks in place and square dances in the jungle. And, of course, this soon collapses. The indigenous workers turned the place into a <laughs> what they call a ribald tropical boomtown. <laughs> So nuts, man. So it it ended up being like a frontier gold town, I think, is what I get from reading the book. And it's it's actually still there, parts of it. Um, And actually, the population of that area has gone up slightly. Uh, There is on YouTube quite a good film uh, that Michael Palin did as one of his travel programs. And he's actually visited it. And there are quite a lot of the buildings and stuff still there. So it was, yeah, I mean... In a way, it's kind of sad that it didn't work, but the actual concept is uh, completely mental. <laughs> and then some. So, All right. Yeah. So hop, hopping around a little bit here, a little bit yep. more focus on the car. So the Model A is, is coming out. Yep. And at this point, I mean, it, even I, 
uh, recognize, you know, the, the Chevys of the late twenties, early thirties. Yes. And, and there's a lot of competition going out there. So the it model is, a is a more, is that a more advanced car than the model T? What, what kind of far engine? More, yeah, like far that? more advanced. You've got, um, the engine is a derivative of the model T, but it's higher compression. It's got, it's more efficient, better carburation. Um, also Henry, um, persisted on the Model T with that semi-epicyclic gearbox where you had a pedal to go backwards, a pedal to go forwards, and I don't know if you've ever driven a Model T, but... I've, I've seen it, and I've been baffled yeah. by it uh, a number of times. I've never driven one. It's an experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, effectively, what he did was put... Um, at Edsel's um, prompting, he actually put a conventional um, non-synchromesh gearbox in it. So you had a three-speed gearbox... Uh, and a usual, you know, the, the standard type of back axle and drive line with a torque tube and all that sort of stuff. But styling wise, it's totally different. Um, it's, it became, I suppose, America's car quite, for quite a long time from 29 to particularly in 32, the Deuce Coupe and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. then it became, you know, it came, became an icon and Edsel actually led the styling team. However, Henry, uh, Henry and Edsel's relationship was always very strained and effectively Henry took credit for the styling rather than Edsel but it was a far more modern vehicle altogether that the, the um, suspension was whilst it was similar to the Model T it was far more modern different types of shock absorbers well, actually had shock absorbers on it which the Model T never did um, and that kind of stuff so it was it was the beginning of modern motoring effectively in terms of Ford what what are the engines at this time um, for the for the UK market which I'm kind of talking about. Um, just a, a little aside, uh, in the UK around that time, they taxed people on horsepower of an engine. So they made the engines smaller bores with longer strokes and things like that. So in this country, it was a two-litre engine, but in the vehicle I've got, it's a three-litre engine. So it's a three-litre flathead four at the time. Okay. So um, And obviously a, an industry built up around the Model A and actually had started with the Model T and some of the people that were actually in the performance um, side of the Model T and the Model A were the Chevrolet brothers who actually started creating overhead valve and overhead cam head conversions for Model Ts and Model As under the name of Frontiac. Frontenac, sorry. So really? there was performance kit available. And these days, if you can get some of the original performance gear for Model Ts or Model As, it fetches thousands. Because obviously the race of gentlemen and all that kind of stuff is becoming very popular. We have our version of it here in the UK called Pendine on Pendine Sands. And that sort of original performance equipment or any early Model A stuff or Model T stuff fetches absolute fortune now. So it's... Going out of order completely, mm. where did the Dodge brother? The Dodge brothers were ori- the Dodge brothers were shareholders of the original company, or either the first or second original company, and were suppliers to Henry. And some of the people that he actually um, pushed out of the various companies were the Dodge brothers, and they actually sued him at one point. So um, they completely fell out. They were originally very friendly, and the Dodge brothers were suppliers. But okay. in the end, they set their own company up, which was eventually absorbed into Chrysler. And did they set that up because? Yes. Like, yep. of anger? Uh, <laughs> or, I, or we're going to do it anyway and yeah, go to hell with that thing or what? <laughs> I, think it, I think it was a bit of both because obviously they didn't have anywhere to go because the, the supplier relationship had broken down. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you are in, an entrepreneur and you're in that line of business, why not stick it to him? <laughs> This is an interesting time because 
you know, uh, uh, unlike today, you can do a lot of things totally under the radar that nobody knows about without a lot of public knowledge because there there isn't a way for the word to get out unless it gets leaked or somebody finds out about what you're doing. Yep. Um, so th- this is just a, a crazy time. Uh, th- there's a lot of tech that I wanted to ask you about that we're not going to have time to go into, but, but I kind of wanted to understand two things. Number one, when did the, the kind of oh, modernization of, of the employees not really being <laughs> slave-like labor happen? <laughs> uh, and when did he lose control of the company? Um, he, well, he, he kind of, uh, I suppose, when the Rouge, the Rouge actually opened, um, just trying to think really, I guess they were building the Rouge around the same time as the Model A came out which was the, the River Rouge plant, which is still there and is pretty big and now produces F-150 trucks. But that place was unbelievable because he'd actually achieved his vision of having raw materials going in one end of the factory and a car coming out the other end. So mm-hmm. there was nothing, there was no external dependencies whatsoever. So I don't think he ever really got away from... Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, Just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. His workers being worked into the ground, but I think the more automation he brought in made it easier for the workers. Um, I think he started to lose control a little bit around sort of 28, 29. I mean, the Model A um, ended up reaching sales of a million in 29, and sort of by the 24th of July in 29, two million. So he he then started to spend a bit more time around um, with Edison and Greenfield Village, which was a kind of pet project of his all the way through. And he started to spend more and more time away from the factory. Um, and the, the depression obviously hit in 29 as well. So he tried to institute a pay rise, sort of $7 a day to aid his workers and fend off the effects of the depression. But to no avail, between 29 and 32, he laid off nearly half of his workforce. So I would imagine that he was trying to sweat his assets considerably around that time. So I wouldn't have thought it would be the most pleasant of places to work around that time. So, But in the background, despite his, you know, um, kind of struggles with the, with the depression, he started to develop the flathead. 
um, which ended up being probably the most famous engine. But he had various issues with that because he wanted to do it without water pumps and various other bits and pieces. He, he tried to copy Cadillac and Chevrolet's engines. Um, so we had a little look at those. And eventually we ended up with the flathead that we've got today. And he, a chap called Arnold Soth basically um, designed it. And I think after that, we ended up with sort of, I suppose, he was losing the plot a little bit because he started to um, employ thugs, basically, to slap the workers into line if they weren't uh, at their stations or weren't producing the efficiency he was looking for. And was actually, this actually department was led by, led by a chap called Harry Bennett, who was effectively a street thug that worked directly for Henry and got in between Henry and Edsel. Uh, in terms of a relationship and he actually treated more um harry more than he did edsel as a son effectively so it was very uh, it was a very strange time um Thug, like the muscle the guy that beats you up absolutely absolutely moving moving on forward um i think it was around 37 or so there was when the uaw started to try and get into ford there was a, mm-hmm. a famous uh, battle on the bridge with the UAW trying to organise unions into Ford, and the actual uh, the union organisers were attacked by Harry Bennett and his gang, and uh, there was blood spilt, etc. The UAW had already signed with Chrysler and GM at that time, but it was very strange because before that, the year before that, there'd been a hunger march um, by the workers, effectively looking you know for better conditions etc and there was violence at that as well again with his security team and five workers died and 60 were injured and it's also known as the ford massacre so there's there's a lot of um unsettled stuff going on and how much he knew about that i'm not sure but i know it must be there must be some connection direct orders from him around that situation so it's it's kind of interesting as far as it goes um in the meantime, he worked. He, he opened the first um, airport hotel. He opened a camp for underprivileged boys, fatherless after World War One. Um, you know, he's, he's doing all kinds of bits and pieces. And, and by this time, we were looking. We were starting to look at World War Two, and he's completely reconfigured his Willow Run uh, assembly line to make B twenty four bombers. So it's, it's kind of strange, but. Just after that, June 41, he'd managed to settle with the UAW. Strangely, he ended up giving them more um, more than they asked for and more than the other automakers. But his control started to slip there because he had a second stroke uh, in 41. Um, he'd recovered from an earlier stroke in 38 and he became very frail and started to, started to effectively lose the plot more and more. And in 43, Edsel Ford died of stomach cancer. Uh, the relationship between the two was always very strained, but Edsel was more respected, I think, from the Ford workers than Henry was, but he re- never really came to terms with Edsel's lifestyle. And I, I don't know if you've heard the stories of him when Edsel was away, he would break into Edsel's house and smash fine paintings and artwork and and things I, like that. I hadn't so, heard it. What was his life? Was he just had a lavish lifestyle? or No, I think probably what? Edsel lived the life that you would expect of a... Um, you know, a vice president of a car company and nothing out of the ordinary, I wouldn't have thought in today's terms, but I suppose it wasn't uh, a Michigan farm boy's life. So, mm. you know, um, after Edsel died, Henry came back onto the board of Ford Motor Company 
Uh, and Eleanor Ford, Edsel's wife, was also elected to the board. And I think Edsel's death and the labour problems caused further and further health issues and mental decline for Henry. Um, so in 44, Henry Ford II um, was named executive VP. And then there was a huge power struggle within the company. And young Henry gradually made his way to the top, despite resistance to those loyal to his grandfather, which would be the Harry Bennetts and stuff of this world. And in 45, um, Clara and Eleanor basically decided to persuade him to give up control of the company. Uh, that was in 45. And then he really spent most of his time after that at Greenfield Village. And he was doing some weird experiments with soy, soya beans and soy for building all sorts of things. And in 47, he, he died of a brain hemorrhage at Fairlane, which was his famous estate, which is obviously the, uh, the, na- okay. the rate of cars were named after. So... So that's a, as you say, it's kind of a bit of a potted history. It, but, uh. There are there. It, uh, ideally, whenever a story is told, it has a, a you know a beginning, a middle, and an end. This one has a beginning, a middle, then it splits out into like fifty branches, Mad. and and yep. and some of those are still going. <laughs> In fact, most of those are still going. Yep. And and obviously, all of us, uh, you know, our time here is limited, and, and Henry died at some yeah. point, but. When is the? I don't even know this. How involved is the Ford family today in the Ford Motor Company? There's still, um, I think it's Bill Ford that's still on the board. Um, They're still heavily involved, and also nearly all the foundations and charitable um, hospital type stuff that Henry had done. Most of that stuff still exists. The Henry Ford Museum is still there. I mean, it was originally it was originally the Edison. museum or exhibition or something of that nature but it changed the name to the henry ford museum greenfield village is still there obviously the rouge plant is still there so the family is still involved but um i think they they've handed things over more on the business side to more professional management but uh, there's still heavy involvement from the family because i know um I think it's probably Henry Ford three or his great grandson or whatever is actually um, a VP of sales. So I think they still have them work their way up through the company. Um, yeah, ostensibly anyway, but uh, so they're still there. They're still involved. And a lot of the stuff they put in place is, is still there. The sad thing for us and probably your Australian listeners as well, they've more or less withdrawn from Europe um, from Western Europe, anyway, and it's a bit sad because the UK and some of the other um, outlying subsidiaries actually kept Ford going when they were having such a problem in the US market. So now Australia, they're more or less out of, they're out of the UK more or less, and they've moved production to places like Turkey and things like that where they can get obviously cheaper labour. But it's sad because they had a long history in this country, over 100 years of manufacturing in Ireland as well. And it's it kind of not gone down well here because they still masquerade themselves over here as a uh, British car company a little bit. So it's yeah, they're, they're not um, they're not sort of seen as a as the company that they were, I guess, outside of the US. But again, I suppose they didn't take the bailout money compared to some of the other companies. So I guess, you know, it's business is business. They, they didn't, and you know, the more I've studied this, and I don't even—I think this is true. It depends where you read, but they would have uh, taken it, but they saw the writing on the wall ahead of time and were able to maneuver themselves a little bit better than GM and Chrysler. Uh, I, I think all three of them were going to do it, uh, and some somehow Ford wisely didn't. Um, 
and that has you know that's still that's still working out well for them um you know especially with loyal uh loyal automotive followers i i know people today that won't buy a gm vehicle simply because they took money and especially when it was government owned they wouldn't buy government motors yeah that's exactly (laughs) what they called it and and they would not buy one yeah no i think it's i think that's fair and also i think ford were lucky in as much as they had good product lines like the f-150 and things like that 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 sell by accident really people just keep buying them yeah yeah, i think you know it's the modern model t isn't it really in terms of it really is it sells itself yeah and it's and then you've got you know chrysler are now owned by fiat well good luck with that <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's, some of the dodgers are good but yeah well, it's you know interesting Kevin, this this has been a whirlwind um <laughs> yeah, not too not too boring not too boring i hope <laughs> not at all and i have i've have enjoyed it there's there's so much more that we could have dug into it it was kind of hard to know where to go and when yeah. to stop but uh, I really was more interested in Henry Ford, the man, and you've definitely answered almost everything I was kind of wondering about. So um, t- tell people what your show is and where they can get it on iTunes. I, I think you mentioned on the Saturday morning stuff, but uh, I assume it's in iTunes too, right? I think yes. I've seen it. Yes, it is. Yeah, there's, there's the uh, classic car show on America's Web Radio that you can find on iTunes uh, and also on Stitcher. I do a show on there once a month, but there are um, other interesting presenters on there. There's different parts of the hobby from um, the sort of California coast. The guys on the actual show are based in Georgia. And they're mainly into brass cars and stuff like that. But some of the stuff that I do is more modern. And there's Kim Barnes there, who's from California. She does more modern stuff around car shows and things like that around the sort of California area. So that's so that's pretty interesting. If you can't, you know, can stand the sound of my voice. <laughs> uh, I do also the um, UK classic car show, which is mainly around the UK. So I try and interview people that have interest in the UK. Uh, around the classic car business so that's car clubs and parts suppliers and um so i've interviewed um the chairman of brooklyn's museum brooklyn circuit and various other people of that nature and i've also got a blog which um has some outpourings from me on there mostly about american cars and the latest thing that's broken on my model a which is uh automotiveamerican.com so that's um that's kicking around on the web as well and uh facebook and things up is that the best way to find you is automotiveamerican.com? Yeah, automotiveamerican.com is the best place to find me. So you can uh, you can message me from there. Uh, if not, you can. my email is uh, kpjflood, F-L-O-O-D, at gmail.com. So uh, feel free. <laughs> okay. Kevin, thank you so much. This was fun. I'm sure we'll do another one on some other topic uh, at some point. But thank you again for making this work. I know that... Um, you know the time difference uh, was was probably the the only big obstacle to overcome, and we we did that with no problem. <laughs> so, no, it's good. So, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's we can do it again. It's been enjoyable. Very good. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Robert. Bye. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.